0: And what 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 do we um, think of when we think of love? Well, you probably think of when you think of love. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you probably think of emotional euphoria. Okay, love is a grand feeling. Uh, Many people. I mean, I think people write about love over the last you know 25, 50 years or so. There's been more written on love than uh, any previous period in human history. I made that uh, stat up on the spot, but you feel like I probably I know my stuff because I'm making up stats, but um, I, it's, a, it's a major thing in our culture. Uh, we write about it. We sing songs about it. We have movies about it. Uh, one of my favorite recent movies is the um, Silver Linings Playbook, uh, a great movie about love, okay? And so love, uh, we love to hear about it and know about it, but I feel like we don't have a um, biblical concept of love, um, Right? Um, Because we talk about it, we're obsessed with it, but relationships are disintegrating around us. Um, We all feel lonely, alienated. Um, We um, have um, kind of these ideas about it, but it didn't work for us. And that's frustrating. So here's what you think love is going to be. Let me just tell you what it is. Okay, so you're standing at the party. You're depressed. You're probably thinking you're never going to ever get married. Uh, But then, your eye catches the eye of someone across the room, and y'all lock eyes. And everything in the world fades to gray. In that tunnel, there are bright colors, music starts playing, and it's both his and yours' favorite song, or his and hers' favorite song. And then everything goes slow motion, and there's rapturous delight here, right? Right? And, and what follows next is this incarnation of all your dreams, all your fantasies, and you can't eat, you can't sleep, you can't think about anything else but that person whom you've locked eyes with. That's, those of you who in love, that's exactly how it's worked, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. I'm walking in right now. Tunnel of love, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Tunnel of love. You, know, uh, you, might, you, might even, you might even express it this way. When I saw for the first time she was standing in with a ticket line, and it all started right then and there. You know, uh, on, a, on a sailor's sky, I made a perfect sunset, and that's a day I'll never forget. I had a barbecue stain on my white T-shirt, and she was killing me in that miniskirt. Yeah. <laughs> she had a sun tan line and red lipstick. I worked so hard for that first kiss, and a hard don't forget something like that. That's kind of what, you know, skipping rocks, all the, like Tim McGraw captures it in a nutshell. With, um, with what it's like to fall in love. It's like falling in a ditch. You just kind of fall into it. Right there. Okay. You're in love. <laughs> you fall in. And so when we, when we fall into this love, we become blinded to reality. Uh, we're deaf to wise words. We're hardened to good sense. We just have this longing. We're in love. And so it just it captures our hearts. You know, there's an old uh, uh, female country song that goes, she's in love with the boy you know and so she's in love you know like, that, like every country song you know like has it love yeah okay you know like no one understands you know her and all of her decisions because she's in love with the boy you know, and so she, her parents don't get her her friends don't get her she's in love with the boy okay now let me write uh, bring it up a little bit more modern now. now those are old school country songs which you've never heard some of you have because country never goes out of style right the same songs are always on the radio. So, Okay, so Chuck Klosterman, in one of his books, he's a pop culture guy, guru, if you will. He writes about Billy Joel, another dated reference, but Billy Joel's Just the Way You Are. Right now, it's probably playing on an elevator somewhere at OU. Okay, that's it's, it's one of these well-known songs that you don't know, but it's on elevators. Okay, so it's written, it's, but the words are, are very tender. They're about Joel's wife, and he says he could never leave her. Um, and he doesn't ever want her to change. I love you just the way you are. And the irony here is that he won a Grammy for that song. Song of the year. About his heartfelt love for his wife. Whom he divorced three years later. Okay? And so, Klausterman says, when I hear that song, just the way you are, it's a, it never makes me think about Joel's broken marriage. It makes me think about all the perfectly scribed love letters and drunken emails I have written over the past 12 years and about all the various women who have received them. I think about how I told them they changed the way I thought about the universe and that they made every other woman on earth unattractive and that I would love them unconditionally even if if we were never together. I hate that those letters still exist. But I don't hate them because what I said was false. I hate them because what I said was completely true. My convictions could not have been stronger when I wrote those words And for whatever reason, they still faded into nothingness. The three times, he says, I have been certain that I could never, ever love anyone else. And I was wrong every time. How many of you have been there? Uh, Those old love letters remind me of my emotional failure and my accidental lies. So he's pointing out our inability to sustain that emotional euphoria that we once have with love. When we think about love, so some... Change our technique, uh, some hope against hope that the true love is right around the corner. But few of us ever pause to ask about the nature of love and what it really is. We just assume that we all understand what it is. We all come out of the factory knowing how to love and what love is. Well, just a few, um, few observations here. Um, we're going to look at um, three texts in the Bible to give us a survey of what love is tonight. And so I, w- I would love for you to follow along with me on your handout. Uh, on the back, first with uh, 1 Corinthians thirteen, and see the, what the Word of God says about love. It says, "If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. And I have, if I have prophetic powers to understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing." If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver it, my body be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It, it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never ends. Uh, you're looking at that, and, and that's, that's, that's one of the best pictures in the Bible of what love is. What is love? Well, romantic love, the kind of where Tim McGraw sees Faith Hill and he's got a barbecue stand in his shirt and it just like changes his life. Um, well, romantic love like that may be more than what's described in this text. But it shouldn't be less. okay? It's got to be at least that. Paul's talking about love in Christian community, and he's addressing a or, or Corinthian church that's ripped apart by bickering, posturing, and divisiveness. But, but we, we must not separate romantic love from a general kind of Christian concept of love. Or we're going to end up in just this fog of sentimentality. And how's that working out for us? This is, this is a bedrock for you to understand what love is. And so the second thing about this that we've got to look at is these 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 words starting with verse 4 love is patient and kind, love is not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude. These are all verbs to portray love. In the, in, in the Greek, it's all in present continuous sense. So he's signaling that, that love is like this habitual ingrained attitude and pattern of behaving. It's simple, but extraordinarily difficult. To cultivate love, to do it. Try, try inserting your name in here uh, for, for love. Like, you know, let's just say uh, Justin is patient. Justin is kind. Justin does not envy. Justin does not boast. Justin is not arrogant. Justin is not rude. And you think about that, for some, putting yourself in that, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Like, if you put your name in there and you literally stand up to the test of what love is, it's awful. Like, if you really put yourself up against that. But there is hope here because what if you put Jesus' name in this text? Ah, what about this? Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus is not arrogant. Jesus is not rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way, does he? Jesus is not irritable. Jesus is not resentful. Jesus does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Jesus rejoices with the truth jesus bears all things jesus believes all things jesus hopes all things jesus endures all things jesus never ends (laughs) that's see jesus in jesus we do have a pattern for what love is so first of all love is self uh is not self-serving but it's self-sacrificial um that that love see looking at love is patient love is kind um it's, it's giving up. It's, it's giving up a piece of yourself. Um, I've been doing some premarital counseling with some guys, uh, a, man, a young man and a, a young woman. <laughs> and uh, we were talking about the goal of a fight. Like, what do you do? Like, what, when you're fighting, what should you be about in a fight? So part of their homework is to have a fight. And, and then, like, we're going to talk about that fight. And, and like, what, it, what were you doing? What were you thinking of that fight? What was the goal here? But the goal of a fight is not that you're screaming in the parking lot at each other. Um, or, or taking care and not returning his or her text, you know why? The question is why are you doing that. It's not. It's not just to get them back. The revolutionary, um, I think, what, what's revolutionary about this is this idea is that the goal of a fight, if you're thinking about love, is to make the relationship better. Okay, it's it's not to get your own way. Have you ever stopped to ask why you're fighting with somebody? The Bible should say you're fighting for love. You're fighting to make the person better. You're fighting for their good. You're fighting to sacrifice for them, to serve them. Love is patient. Love is kind. Patience. Um, it's not indifference. You have, a, you have enough to care about them to say something to them, to, to, to enter into a, a conflict with them. Uh, you demonstrate kindness. You're going to be generous and gracious in the way you fight, even with people. That's just one example. Um, love is not irritable or resentful in verse 5. Um, irritability. Everyone knows what irritability is, right? It's, <laughs> we see it all day long. Uh, we, you walk by people on campus, and, and they're mean to you. Um, you get in their way, and they're mean to you. Or you're driving around campus, and they're mean to you. Um, people get behind me and tailgate me and, 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 and cut me off, and I get mad at them. And so we're just irritable. Um, that's not love, uh, but re- it's not resentful. It's not keeping a file of personal grievances, uh, which you can can bring out when somebody does you wrong, uh, ladies and guys. It's not it's not bringing up all those old all the old stuff that they've done to you, uh, and brooding over, over those wrongs you've suffered. Uh, love is quick to forgive and reconcile. Um, so love is self-sacrificial. That's that's it. I mean, we could go on and on and on about that. We'll have question time later. Jesus, though, is love-defined. He's love-demonstrated. So let's look at our next text. In uh, 1 John 3 and following, it says this. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love each other, love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. There's that envious thing going on there. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We do. We know that we have uh, that we know that we have passed out of death into life, because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us. See there, love demonstrated. Jesus laid down his life. For us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if your heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the the Son, in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Just as he has commanded us. And finally, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us. And so you're looking through here, and, and like, he's saying things that are very shocking, like John typically does, but, but he says, essentially looking back at verse 14, he says, the difference from, between a Christian and the world is in the way love is manifested in the followers of Jesus. Love is everything for us. Love must be demonstrated as Jesus loved us, we've got to love people. And so, that's, that all, like, I think the way we actually deal with things is we, we feel like wreckage in the way we deal with each other. Our relationships often leave us broken and lonely. And so, that's a serious problem. Like, look at what verse 15 says. If ever, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So, failure to love people is a big deal. The Bible and Jesus call people who decide not to love and give to people and hate uh, murderers. Well, let's look at some examples of, of what that would look like. Um, every time, like, here, for me, this is like, every time, like, I'm looking at, like, look at verse 14, or, sorry, look at verse 16 for a demonstration of this. By this we know, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So lay down a life. God's, has the audacity to suggest that, that the pattern for your life ought to be the gospel. The gospel. Jesus died for your sins. Uh, a sinless Savior died for the, for the lives of sinners. Unmerited, un, uncom- um, like nothing in you com- ought to compel God to do that, but he does that for you. It's like the, like we deserve that. So here's some examples. But look at verse 17. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him... How does God's love abide in them? So it talks about your worldly goods, the things you have. They're tangible things for your bodies. So for me, I don't know if this is you, but every time I walk past the blood drive people in the South Oval, I kind of see them in, in, in my vision and I kind of dart over to the other side because I don't have time to give blood. Um, when, you're, when you're on the other side of the South Oval to get away from them, In doing so, you've moved right outside the demonstrating of God's love. Okay, every time, for instance, every time, I know there are people like this, I was one of those people too, who weasel out of driving because you don't want to spend the gas money. Okay, every time you weasel out of giving, like, of your gas money, um, you're not not demonstrating the love of God. Your heart is closing against your brother. Giving your stuff equals opening your heart. It says there, not giving your stuff is closing your heart. You see that? In verse 17, to withhold your stuff from people is equated with closing your heart. That's very important. That we open our hearts to people. Um, and so verse, um, going on through there, uh, Verse looking at verse 24, whoever keeps these commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he's given us. So the good or the love that we offer demonstrates to others and to ourselves that we can have confidence before God so your ability to, with, to hold your possessions loosely um, is going to testify and, and help you to believe that you believe in him that's one way to help you to understand you're in Christ um, how well you're doing in that um, so looking at that, I'm not doing very well I'm not doing very well at all I need some help. So look at the next verse. Look at love divine, which is actually intentionally misspelled because it's the, the D-E uh, alliteration, which is terrible. Okay, love divine. God is love. Follow with me. Read this last text in the New Testament about love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God or does not love does not know God because God's love. So we've seen, first of all, a, a, a definition of love. Uh, in the First Corinthians passage, we've seen the first First John passage where it talks about this is how we know love that Jesus died for us. And it's saying that like, love is divine. God is love. Now watch this in verse 9. In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might lo- live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Uh, no one has ever seen God, if we, but if we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him, that he is in us. Because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. And he is in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, again. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us. So that we have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and who fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, "I love God and hates his brother," he's a liar. For he who does not love God or love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from God: Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Um. Now, thinking through, do do the way is our kind of dating ritual match this sort of love that we have. But we've already looked at how we personally kind of fail. We don't we aren't persevering with people. We're not always abiding with them, but we actually fear in the way we we um, date. So, looking at our, our dating ritual how it works, um, this is important for us. Uh, here's how this re- usually works. And we're going to apply it real practically here. So, um, first, when you first start dating somebody, there's Interest expressed, um, either through personally texting them, calling them, uh, seeing them, or a network of friends. Then you usually have a first date. You hang out till two a.m. talking. That's usually how this thing happens in dating. Then there's interest nurtured. Uh, you spend more and more time together. You find ways to spend time together. Uh, there's buzz about the relationship. Uh, the girls start start talking to their seven, their panel of seven, or their their, um, their seven friends that are the closest and they analyze everything that the guy has done. And this exact, this happened, this exact thing happened with me and Meredith uh, back when I was doing terrible things and being an idiot. Okay? She was scrutinizing everything and going back to the council of seven. And so then there's, But then interest is int- institutionalized. So you've got interest expressed, interest nurtures, nurtured and then interest institutionalized. Usually because of some frustration and a desire to know what's going on you're going to have to have a talk, a DTR, if you will. And you're going to talk about your feelings and your intentions. And you're probably going to come to the conclusion, oh, we only want to date each other. Or we, we, want to br- we don't want to date. Um, then if you do define the relationship as, okay, we're dating, now there's the honeymoon stage. Where you only you know, spend time with each other and all your friends are ticked. Uh, because you used to spend time with them, but now you're always with so-and-so. But then, after the honeymoon phase comes the first major conflict, okay? And so then, then you start meeting out punishments, okay? Is this, and describe, okay, if this, if this describes any of you, I, I'm glad, uh, because it's, it, this, this should really describe you. Um, when, when something happens in your relationship, then maybe you give the cold shoulder, you know, like, and so your, your date will be like, well, what's wrong? And you'll say, nothing. Nothing. You know something's wrong. You start pouting, there's some spiteful words, you withdraw from them. And sometimes you'll say really hurtful things to the other person, or do hurtful things. And the reason why is that so and so has broken an unwritten rule. The offending but, but the whole time the offending party was totally unaware if this rule even existed. Okay? Like like there's these rules are not written down on a stone tablet somewhere. These are your expectations. And so For instance, you hardly talked to me tonight at that party. Or, why haven't you texted me in the last two days? Um, Why haven't you called me this week? I can't believe you made plans every night for the weekend. Don't you know we're supposed to hang out on Saturday night? These rules, you see, are often forged in the fires of insecurity. But they're seen to to us as rights or justice. And what lies beneath them? Suspicion. Mistrust. Mistrust. Fear. Fear. Then you, you get angry, you get defensive, you accuse the other person, and then you either break up or you're going to apologize. And then the other person will apologize for being uh, so-and-so. But then, in that relationship, there's there's bec- these rules become institutionalized. Um, and, and so there's deepened demands and rights. There's a sense of ownership that creeps in to the relationship. You have the right to demand those kind of behaviors in order to make me happy. Me happy. Uh, and so, if that means spending more of your free time with me than you want to give, then so be it, because that's what I want. Okay, so, so you, you manipulate your date, you manipulate your relationship, and but then that other person starts to feel that, starts to pull away, and then it's ultimately developing fractures. And so, the, these these words these words are, are this, I think this is true of most relationships that there's interest expressed there's inter, the interest becomes institutionalized then you have conflicts and you have this cycle of, of divisiveness and, and either breaking up or apologizing but then deepening demands and rights forged in the in the fires of insecurity is that loving absolutely not absolutely not um, these are strategies that are manipulative. Uh, these are uh, unwritten rules and expectation, expectations driven out of suspicion, not hope and endurance. Um, our deep sense of ownership and forced demands on people that we're dating are selfish and insist on our own way. The very opposite things that, are, that, uh, that um, 1 Corinthians 13 are talking about. Love is needed. Uh, a greater love. Uh, in order to have that kind of security uh, to do that. So um, something more than falling in love is needed here. Uh, I want to read to you a quote from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. He says this, talking about the fairy tale being in love stuff. He says, now, no feeling can be relied upon to last in its full intensity or even to last at all. Feelings change. In fact, whatever people say, the state called being in love usually does not last. If the old fairy tale ending, they lived happily ever after, is taken to mean they felt for the next 50 years exactly as they felt the day before they were married, then it says what probably never was nor ever could be true and would be highly undesirable if it were. Who could bear to live in that excitement for even five years? Well, it would become of your work, your appetite, your sleep, your friendships. But of course, ceasing to be in love need not mean ceasing to love. Love, in this second sense, love as distinct from being in love, is not merely a feeling. It's a deep unity, maintained by the will and deliberately strengthened by habit, reinforced by, in Christian marriages, the grace which both parents ask and receive from God. They can have this love for each other even at those moments when they do not like each other. As you love yourself, even when you do not like yourself, they can retain this love even when they, when each would easily, uh, if they allowed themselves, be in love with someone else. Being in love first moved them to, to promise fidelity. This quieter love enables them to keep the promise. It is on this love that the, in, that the engine of marriage is run. Being in love was the explosion that started it. Okay, so there ought to be explosions Got to be the barbecue stain and the mini skirt and, the, and the, just the joy of that. Total of love. But there's got to be a quieter love. The dying to self. The bearing all things. The patience. The kindness. The grace. We have a problem with love. We're not very loving. And we don't really know how to change. And that's why we're, we're, we're talking about this. I'll show you just, just, a, just a brief picture of what this means. And we'll wrap it up. Uh, how do you, how do you, how do you, you know, when you're failing at this, what's going to change you? Well, Sunday after, after, after Easter dinner, um, I became quickly aware that something major just happened. Uh, there was, I, I'd forgotten the NCAA tournament was on. And uh, then on Facebook and Twitter, or some, I don't even know how, how it figured it out, but I realized that one of the Louisville players, one of their big power forwards, had been defending a three-pointer. A normal, normal play landed and broke his leg. Okay, and it was the most gruesome sports injury you've who, who has not seen this? Okay, don't watch it. Okay, don't watch it. I'm going to describe it for you. Okay, uh, <laughs> he, he 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 lands on his on his leg and it shatters. Okay, like he, you can see it that his leg is flopping. Okay, which should not be flopping. And there is bone sticking out six inches from his leg. Okay, it is broken. It's the most disgusting thing you've ever seen. Men are crying. <laughs> Women and babies are running for the exits. Um, like men are at, you know, like, actually on the floor weeping. People are throwing up. It is the most disgusting thing. That, okay, so I told my step—I mean, my, my father-in-law—that okay, Leo's lost it. Okay, they're loose. Duke's got this. They're going to the Final Four. I was completely and utterly wrong, though. Now, six minutes before halftime, they go into halftime after this, and you know what that little, that, that, that guy who has a broken leg on a stretcher says? He says, I'm going to be okay. Y'all just go win the game. I'm to be okay. Y'all just go win the game. He should be screaming in agony, but he is saying to his friends, go win the game. Okay, now, he has put his well-being beneath the well-being of the team. He's insp- and his words inspired them to play they'd never played before. They had the most glorious half beating the pants off Duke and going to the Final Four. Coach Patino, their coach, says, Look, if we don't go out there and win this game, we might as well have not played the season. We've got to go see him, Kevin, in Atlanta. Okay, so the whole time Kevin is, in the, is getting surgery on his leg to get restored. And that's love. That's, at one point, he's thinking about the team more than himself, and it actually inspires his team. And so I'm going to say, you cannot love until you have someone on your team who is willing, or who has been willing to love you in that way, to put themselves clearly underneath you so that you can succeed. And y'all, that is Jesus. Jesus, crying out in agony on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross to atone for your sins, so that you might succeed. If you you can't be inspired by the greatest story ever told, that God would love you in that way, he's saying that's the way to, to, to love. You can't be patient. You can't be kind. You're going to envy. You're going to be boastful. That's the way you are. You're a sinner. But there is hope. It it looks like certain, certain defeat for each of us. But there's a Jesus. There's Jesus. And he calls out to you. He calls out to you. And he says, I forgive you. You're my guy. You're my girl. I love you. And I've given everything for you. I'm putting you above me, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna prove it to you. I'm gonna go to cross and die for you. That's what it is. Okay, let's pray. Uh, Father, you have given us a pattern in the gospel, uh, an audacious pattern where you yourself have not even excluded yourself from doing it. You haven't sat in heaven and called down uh, these. Um, obscure commands to us uh, and, and, and ways and rules in which we could make our lives harder and more difficult and in uh, and, and ways we could restrain our, our idea of freedom and, and our own self-interest. Uh, but no, you've, you've entered into this world and you've demonstrated perfectly. Lord, you are Jesus. You've, you've given us Jesus. Uh, you have given us uh, the Son, the eternal Son. Um, you would not even withhold your son, and so will you not give us all things? We, we pray that you would give us love, that you would help us to be uh, those who love those who who see needs and meet them and who give our possessions for our brothers and and date well, and which we 're not manipulating, but we're we 're seeking to give so that we can, we can we can be good husbands and wives, good parents, uh, good neighbors, Lord, we need Jesus, we need the gospel to capture our hearts, so we pray that you would take, uh, take us and internalize these great truths in us. Help us to know our sin, but to know you are such a great Savior, that, you, that your grace outstrips our sin, that your death on the cross is good to atone for each of our sins. And would you draw us to yourself, would you draw all of us to Jesus, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. We'll sing one more song and we'll, roll, we'll wrap it up.